Amen. Well, I'm so glad to be able to be with you again, uh, First Baptist Rock Hill family, and I'm uh, really glad to be here on the day that the North Greenville Campus Band is here. I'm a proud alumnus of North Greenville University, except when I graduated, uh, we were still a college and we were still called the Mounties, and they've changed their name and became a big university since then. So uh, anyway, God is doing a great thing at North Greenville University in addition to, and yeah, go ahead and, and praise the Lord for what he's doing there. And, uh, and the same is true on our other two South Carolina Baptist campuses, Anderson University and Charleston Southern University. Uh, it is a real gift that as a state convention that we have not just one, not just two, but three strong universities that are committed to the gospel, that are committed to the Great Commission, and committed to raising up the next generation of missional leaders that are led by uh, presidents and staff and faculties that are deeply committed to those things as well and who work in great cooperation uh, with our South Carolina Baptist Convention. Most state conventions would love to have one school that they could say that about. And here in South Carolina, we have three. And uh, just praise the Lord for what he's doing on those three campuses and the opportunity that we have as South Carolina Baptist to invest in and be a part of what God is doing in the next generation to raise up the next generation uh, to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth and whatever vocational platform um, God may open and God may call those students to live in and serve in. And so uh, very, very special to be here on a day that those guys are here and so much appreciate their leading us in worship uh, this morning. I, I love the fact that you as a church family are walking through systematically an opportunity to read the Bible together as a church family and then intentionally connecting that to the sermon on Sundays. And so uh, when Pastor Steve asked me to preach for him as he had his uh, shoulder surgery, <clears throat> he gave me the scriptures that you guys read this week. And uh, I tell you what, it just so happens that you read this week one of my very favorite passages of scripture, one of my favorite chapters of scripture, uh, because of what it means for the mission of God. And so if you've got a copy of God's Word with you, I hope you do. I want you to get to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I believe you should have read that this week, along with Acts 15, which are very, very important in, in the grand scheme of things in the mission of God. And let me tell you what we get here in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Acts 16 serves a little bit as a, as a behind-the-scenes or the backstory of the launch, the beginning of the church of Philippi. The church that Paul would later write uh, the letter Philippians to, uh, that church really had its birth in Acts chapter 16 through the encounters that we see with the gospel. And we'll look at those specific encounters in just a moment. But we love behind the scenes stories. We love to get the backstory on how something came about, how something uh, came to be. Uh, we love to watch maybe uh, television shows or documentaries that'll that'll take us behind the scenes of maybe certain historical events or or maybe the making of certain movies or certain television shows. Uh, there's a podcast. It's one of my favorites. It's called How I Built This, and uh, it's it's hosted by NPR, and they interview various entrepreneurs, and you get the backstory of whatever idea that they came up with, whatever business they launched, whatever new technology they discovered uh, that everybody is using and you know appears to be wildly successful, you get to hear all the story of ideas and failures and attempts and research and everything that went into the product that maybe is a very familiar product or a company that we interact with often. We love to read 
uh, presidential memoirs or biographies. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy reading those, getting the backstory of the decisions that they had to make and the, the, the controversies they had to endure and the, the different uh, conversations they were part of and the different meetings they were part of and what went into the preparation of just being the president on a day-to-day basis. Um, we love to read those memoirs. I'm personally looking forward to a documentary that's going to come out uh, later on this year called The Last Dance. It is the the behind-the-scenes story of the 1998 Chicago Bulls, uh, the last championship that Michael Jordan won with the Bulls. It's the the behind-the-scenes of that that season. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan, huge Chicago Bulls fan growing up, and I can't wait for that documentary to come out because you get the the behind-the-scenes of this championship team. Uh, The other night, uh, I've got three girls. Um, which means I'm hopelessly outnumbered for the rest of my life, right? Um, and broke. But anyway, we, we, bought, uh, we bought the DVD for Frozen 2. The girls we saw it in the theater, but the DVD had just come out, and so we, we got it and had a little family movie night. And, uh, and it's always interesting to me. My kids love these movies, and they love Frozen 2, and they were all into it, and they're singing the song. They already had all the songs memorized, which is amazing, um, and it's, it's been constantly on reverb and repeat in my house you know, ever since. But when we get to the end of the movie and it goes back to the start screen of the, of the Blu-ray disc, there's that, little, there's that little button on there that says bonus features. And on the bonus features, you get behind the scenes. And, and my eight-year-old, when she saw that, she went, oh, bonus features. And she hopped up off the couch and starts jumping up and down and doing a big dance as if we hadn't watched the movie already, you know, as if the bonus features was the whole reason why you get the Blu-ray disc, you know. And so then we sat there for another 45 minutes watching all of the backstory of the animation and how they chose the different scenes and how they wrote the plot lines and all of those different things that went into the movie. Why? Because we love the backstory. We love to get the behind the scenes. It helps us sort of put ourselves in the story a little bit more. It helps us understand more of the dynamics of what's going on. And that's the beautiful thing that we get in Acts chapter 16. We get the behind the scenes backstory of how the church at Philippi was launched at how God worked and how God moved through people and through time and through circumstances to bring about the opportunity for people to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and then join together to form what we would then come to know as the church at Philippi. And as we study this text and see how God moved and how God worked in the backstory of the church at Philippi, I think we see not just how God moved then, But I think we get a picture of how God still moves today to use us and to invite us to join in with him and what he is doing to multiply his mission, to multiply the gospel in our local communities and all over the world. So I want us to read. We're going to wind up reading a good chunk of Acts chapter 16 together. We're going to start in verse 6. We're going to read down through verse 34. And then we're going to skip down and pick up the last verse there in, uh, in verse 40. So you follow along. Your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. The Scripture says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word in Asia. And uh, they, there, is the little missionary band of Paul, Silas, uh, Timothy, whom Paul has just called to join with him, and then, of course, Dr. Luke, who is the one recording the events. He's the author of... Um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's the author of the book of Acts. When they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into the Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, 
they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Tyatria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prison, prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of night, washed their wounds, and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And then down to verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, how do we make sense of all that? It's a lot of mileage to cover in a short amount of time. But I believe we get a picture of how God wants to use us to multiply His mission. It's what He did then, and I believe it's what He still wants to do through you and me today. The first thing we see of how God uses us to multiply His mission is, number one, we follow His lead. We follow His lead. Now, in verse 6 through 10, we get, a, we get a picture of, of Paul's journey here. This is his second missionary journey. And we see that he was on his way throughout Asia. Now this is a place where the gospel had, had primarily been confined to, more to the east, so to speak. 
And there were all of these places where Paul sort of set out to go. But for one reason or another, the Holy Spirit prevented him from going to the places that seemed to make sense or the places that he thought he needed to go to because they were along the route that he had already planned to take. And instead, the Spirit led him to Troas. Now in that, what's happening is the Holy Spirit of God is setting up the opportunity for Paul to be just across the Aegean Sea from Macedonia and the leading city of Macedonia being Philippi. And Troas was the major harbor that sent ships back and forth across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia. So the primary way to get to Macedonia was through Troas. Now this was not a part of Paul's plan, but this was God's plan. Because God's plan was to take the gospel now across the Aegean Sea from the east over now to the west to where the gospel would then begin to invade the Roman Empire and begin to invade into Europe. Philippi, in God's plan, would become the beachhead for the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Now when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, it was about 60 A.D. We know through historians that by 325 A.D., over one half of the Roman Empire had come to faith in Jesus. And it all started with Paul being led by the Spirit to Troas, not in his plan, so that he could then hear and receive this call from Macedonia, this vision in the night, to come over and help us, that he and his small little missionary band would make that journey across the Aegean Sea, land in Macedonia, get to Philippi, and make the gospel known as the beachhead for the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. We follow God's lead, which means we trust He knows where He wants us to go. We don't always know that, do we? I don't know what I'm going to eat for lunch today. Right? But I love to be in control of my life. I love to be the one calling the shots. I love to be the one making the decisions. I love to be the one saying yes and saying no, and this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're not going to do, right? But at the end of the day, you and I know so very little. We know so very little. We we think we know what is best, but rarely do we actually know what is best. We are absolutely dependent upon a sovereign God to direct and order and orchestrate our lives. And we gladly submit to him, believing that he has a plan. Now, Troas was not in Paul's plan. Not at all. In fact, it didn't even make sense. If you look at a map, if you look at a map of Paul's second missionary journey, it doesn't make sense why he would bypass all of these places that were named by Luke in writing and recording these events. All these places, they they went right past them. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit was not allowing Paul to go there because God had a plan to take the gospel across the Aegean Sea to Europe. We know God has a plan and we trust His plan. And even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not in our plan, we follow Him believing and trusting that He's at work. And wherever He's at work, friends, that's where we want to be. I don't want to be in the place that's all about me. I don't want to be in the place that's all about what I want. I don't want to be in the place that's just comfortable and my preference for me. I want to be in the place where God wants me. 
I want to be in the place where God is at work. I want to be in the place that God has planned. I know you do too. Our family saw this play out in mid-2000s. We felt God leading us to to join with him in starting a new church in an area that was underserved or in, or in need of a, of a new life-giving church. And as we began to pray and think about where in the country that might be, one place really, really began to rise to the top. We had some friends there. We had a couple of close friends that we had shared with, maybe. We had talked with some leaders there, some church leaders there, about the possibility. So there were donors that were lining up to give uh, to be a part of it. There were people that were lining up to be a part of this new church plant. And all that was lacking was for us to put our final yes on the table and say, yes, we'll go. And along, along the way, I uh, came across a, an acquaintance, not somebody that I knew well, but somebody I had a, had a relationship with. And in that, he just asked, well, you know, there's a lot of need and opportunity in Northeast Columbia, South Carolina. We were living in Greenville at the time. And my wife and I both grew up in Northeast Columbia, and the last place on the planet we ever thought we would live again was Northeast Columbia, right? You, you don't go back home. That's not what you do. When you say yes to the call of God to follow Him in ministry, I mean, you're, you're going to the ends of the earth. You're not, you're not going out and then coming right, right back home. But something about that conversation moved the needle in our hearts to the point that we began to pray, God, are you putting Columbia on our heart? We took a couple of stealth trips down without telling friends or family or anybody what we were doing, and we just kind of drove around the area where we grew up. And as we're driving, we're praying, we're asking the Lord, is this where you're calling us? And sure enough, the more that we prayed and the more we considered Northeast Columbia, the more it became clear that was exactly where God was calling us. It didn't make any sense because everything we had lined up in the other place, we had none of in Northeast Columbia, but we had the call of God. And friends... At the end of the day, that is all we need. It's the call of God and the presence of God and the assurance that His plan is always better than our plan. So if we're going to join Him in multiplying the mission, it's going to start with following His lead. But it's not going to just stop with following His lead. It's going to continue on to then secondly what we see here. We follow His lead and then secondly we share the gospel. We share the gospel. Now, when you we follow Paul's missionary band here, they land in Macedonia. The Spirit leads them to Philippi. And with, in the absence of a synagogue, uh, the next best thing they could find was a ladies' prayer meeting happening down by the river. <laughs> That's what's going on. They couldn't find a church, but they found a ladies' prayer meeting. And in that ladies' prayer meeting, they go and they join with them. And as they do, they meet this lady, Lydia, that was a successful business lady, an entrepreneur, a dealer of purple goods. That means she was successful, she was wealthy, she had some means about her. And she was also a religious person, but she was not a person who was following Jesus. And so the Spirit prompts Paul to share the gospel with Lydia. She hears, she believes, she's baptized, and her whole household and all of those ladies that were in that Bible study with her. Carrying on from there, they're going with her. They're going with this, this group of ladies they just met. Then here comes this, this demon-possessed slave girl that was making somebody a lot of money, but, but at the expense of her dignity because she was living an oppressed, rejected life of slavery. There were people that were making money off of her ability to supposedly tell fortunes. And she's following Paul around and constantly chirping at him, constantly 
speaking to him constantly, uh, making jokes or, or calling him out or giving threats or whatever it might be. And I love how it gets to the point where Paul, it says that he was greatly annoyed in verse 18. And he just turns around to the slave girl and commands the demon and her demon, get out of her. Calls the demons out. Sometimes that sounds like a decent parenting tactic, right? Your kids just drive you crazy, so you start calling demons out of them, I guess. I don't know. So Paul turns to this slave girl, calls for that demon to leave her, and the demon leaves. And in her right mind then, that girl begins to follow Paul, begins to follow this missionary band, and she becomes a follower of Jesus. Now the people who owned her and were making a lot of money off her were not happy about this because now they've lost their cash cow. And so they seek out Paul and Silas. They have them arrested. They have them thrown in jail. And not just thrown in jail. They are thrown into the inner prison. That was the worst part. It was the lowest part. It was the darkest part. It was the nastiest part of the prison. And they are put in stocks and chains. And the jailer that was there was one of the most experienced and accomplished jailers in the whole regime. And in the midst of their suffering, in the darkest, lowest, nastiest place, they're praising the Lord. God sends an earthquake. The cells open. The chains fall. And instead of everybody taking off and running, Paul and Silas stay in the jail. The jailer who had fallen asleep wakes up to the earthquake, recognizes the prisoners are are all open and free to run. And he's about to take his own life when Paul calls out and says, friend, we're all here. And while this earthquake has purchased and brought about our physical freedom, what's more important here is your spiritual freedom. And that jailer says, Sirs, what do I have to do to become a Christian? What do I have to do to know Jesus? Paul explains the gospel to him. That jailer repents of his sin and places his faith in Jesus and says, My whole family needs to hear about this. And takes Paul to his family and his whole family hears the gospel and they're all saved. And they are all baptized. Three very different gospel encounters with three very different people, all to help us understand one very big, very important point, and that is this, that the gospel is for everyone. There is no type of person for the gospel. There is no type of person who can be a Christian. There is no There is no particular mold of what a person who could become a Christian must look like and must be like before they become a follower of Jesus. That's what the Jerusalem Council and Acts 15 was all about, was it was setting it very clear that you don't have to become a religious person, you don't have to become a Jew in order to then be a Christ follower, but it is by grace through faith in Christ that we're saved and it's not by our works It's not by what nation we were born in. It's not by the color of our skin. It's not by the culture that we have followed. It's not by the customs that we celebrate. It's not by any man-made thing. It is purely by the grace of God. Because the gospel is for everybody. A wealthy businesswoman, an oppressed and rejected slave girl, and even a hardened, cynical, blue-collar jailer. The gospel is is for everyone it takes different ways to reach people and we've got to pay attention to how God is at work and how God is leading and the ways that we can connect with people but we trust that the spirit is at work and that he goes ahead of us there's a reason why Paul saw that vision 
and heard that call to come to Macedonia and to bring the gospel. Because the Spirit had gone ahead and the Spirit was already at work in the lives of those that would hear and respond. But also don't miss this. How God uses suffering for the advance of the gospel. How God uses suffering for the advance of the gospel. Paul and Silas could have thought, we've been thrown in jail. That's the end of it for us. But instead, they began praising the Lord. And as they're praising the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to move, begins to work. And that Philippian jailer comes to faith in Christ. Who knows how many others may have come to faith in Christ, but suffering is never wasted. And so whether it's a circumstance you find yourself in, whether it's something that happens to you, or whether it's something that happens around you, even if it's the spread of a virus, don't ever miss how God uses suffering for the advance of the gospel. It's always interesting to me to see that the places where persecution against Christ and against the church is the greatest are also the places where the church is growing the fastest. Because God uses suffering for the advance of the gospel. And so we follow His lead, and as we follow His lead, we're faithful to share the gospel, realizing the gospel is for everybody. That God has gone ahead of us and He's prepared the way and He's prepared the hearts of those that He is going to intersect our lives with. And even if there is suffering that we experience along the way, God is able to use that suffering for the advance of the gospel. So we follow His lead, we share the gospel, and the third thing we learn about how God multiplies His mission then and how He multiplies His mission now is we leverage our lives for His glory. We leverage our lives for His glory. Now, after there's a little dispute back and forth about what to do with Paul and Silas and the missionary band after the whole jailbreak scene, there's some back and forth with the leaders there. They finally release them. And the first place that they go is to Lydia's house. That's why we read verse 40. Because they go to Lydia's house, and when they go there, they see the brothers. That is, they see multiple followers of Jesus. So so this thing has grown from Lydia and her ladies' Bible study and the slave girl and the jailer in his household and maybe some of the others that were there. It's grown on beyond that. And now Lydia, who, remember, businesswoman, had some means about her, probably had a decent house, great place to gather. She is now hosting all of these people in her home and together they are gathering around the gospel. They are gathering around the word of God. They are gathering around the mission of God. And so Paul comes to them, they encourage them, and then they carry on on their journey to come back around at a later time. The church at Philippi is birthed in the house of a businesswoman. With the first converts being a businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. Wealth oppression, and blue collar. But God gives us these gifts. God God gives us these gifts in our lives as a means of using us, as a means of using us in His mission. And the call for you and me is to leverage what we have for the sake of the gospel. To leverage the resources God has given us for the sake of the gospel. To leverage the time that God has given us for the sake of the gospel. To leverage the skills and the gifts, the unique abilities that we have for the sake of the gospel. God has given us all of those for the purpose of joining Him in His mission. Even Paul, 
You know, before Paul became Paul, his name was Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. He was a terrorist. And when Jesus saved him, that same boldness and zeal and passion with which Paul persecuted the church, God then leveraged and used to advance the gospel. And and that passion and that boldness and that giftedness that Paul had became the very means of the gospel spreading even to places like Philippi. Don't ever underestimate the gifts, the skills, the resources, the time that God has invested in you and how He wants to do that. How He wants to use that to advance His mission. But the second thing that I want us to notice out of this, in leveraging our lives, is to never lose sight of this, that the next generation of movement leaders, listen to this, the next generation of movement leaders are right now still in the harvest. You know what I mean by that? The next generation of people that God wants to use in bold ways to take the gospel maybe even to places where the gospel has never been, those people are right now not following Jesus. Because when Paul landed in Troas trying to figure out what God was calling him to do and where God was calling him, wanting to go to all of these other places, but the Spirit not letting him go, listen, he had no idea about a lady named Lydia and had no idea about a demon-possessed slave girl and had no idea about a Philippian jailer that he would meet. But the Lord knew them. The Lord knew them by name. He made them in His image. He put them together. And He was at work in their hearts and their lives. He called Paul and that little missionary band over to them. And as they were faithful to share the gospel, God was faithful to do His part. And that has transformed the hearts of men and women. And then leverage and use their gifting for the furtherance and the proclamation of the gospel and the furtherance of the mission of God. The next generation of movement leaders are right now in the harvest, still yet to hear the gospel. There are Lydia's and there are slave girls and there are jailers and there might even be some Paul's in the harvest in Rock Hill, South Carolina. In the harvest and on the campus of Winthrop University. In the harvest and on the campus of our high schools, our middle schools, our elementary schools in the student ministry, in the children's ministry here at First Baptist, in your neighborhood, the next generation of movement leaders, the Lydia's, the slave girls, and the jailers right now are in this community, but they don't know Jesus. But God's at work, right? Leading us to the next generation of movement leaders, empowering us and equipping us and calling us to boldly share the gospel, believing the gospels for everyone and God can save anyone. And leveraging whatever we have for the sake of His mission. Because God loves to use His people to multiply His mission. And He does that as we follow His lead, as we share the gospel, and as we leverage our lives for His glory and for His mission. So my question to you this morning is this. How is God leading you? How is God leading you? What has God put on your heart? What's the call of God that He's placed on your heart? What step of obedience is He calling you to take? How is He calling you to boldly share the gospel with somebody 
that's close to you but far from God? How is he calling you to leverage your life and leverage your resources that he's given to you, that he's entrusted to you for the sake of his mission? How is God leading you? Will you follow his lead? Will you boldly share the gospel? And will you leverage what he has entrusted to you for the sake of his mission? We're going to have a time of invitation and response. And however God may be leading you today, maybe it's to take the step to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe it's to pray over that person that's close to you but far from God. Maybe it's to take a step of obedience, to offer your life in a way like maybe you never have before. Maybe you want to join in with this faith family and its mission. Pastors will be down front and available to connect with you as you have need and as you have the desire to talk and pray this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and respond together. Father, thank you so much for your word that is so real and so living and so active and at work in our lives. God, thank you for the continued invitation that you give us to join with you in your mission. And Father, I pray that in us you would find willing and obedient people willing to go where you lead willing to boldly share the gospel as you give opportunity and willing to leverage our lives and what you have entrusted to us for the sake of your glory and for the sake of your mission. So Holy Spirit, you stir and lead us today just as you led Paul. Lord, you lead us today. We will follow in Jesus' name.